You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast featuring some of Indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state, our communities, and us. Join us as we discuss their imprint on our history. Leaders and Legends is brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated, your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations, media relations, public outreach, crisis communications, and digital photography. My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. Thank you for listening to Leaders and Legends. We're here with Craig Brader, who is the president of the Heartland Film Festival. In Heartland Film, I guess, there's a festival and then there's an organization. Thank you very much for joining us today. We are sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, and its CEO, Danielle Shockey, is with me today. We're also sponsored by Caterpillar. I was going to laugh. McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. And a word out to P.E. McAllister, who's uh, feeling a little under the weather, and hopefully he's feeling better by the time this is aired. We're also sponsored by General Hotels Corporation, the Crown Plaza at Union Station. This is going to air the week of the festival in October, and we're very lucky to have you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thank you. As always, when uh, Danielle is with us, we let her take it away. So your turn. All right. Well, let's start with this. So for someone who may not be familiar with the Heartland organization, as Robert said, and or the festival, give us the, the, the 101 on that, if you don't mind. Well, and I'll try to make that as short because when you've been doing a film festival that we're now in our 28th year, which is unusual for film festivals. Film festivals don't have a 28-year history like we do. If you survive a film festival with five years, you've really accomplished something. So uh, we're 28 years old. We are uh, certainly well-known and positioned uh, worldwide now. We just got back from one of the largest film markets in the world in Toronto last week, and everybody was anxious to talk to Heartland International. So we're very proud of that. Very good. So you mentioned unique, 28 years, and I did some research and reading. Um, and so I think I understand, but maybe our audience would love to hear from your perspective what made the mix of what was happening here with Heartland make it be able to celebrate its 25th anniversary three years ago? And that's when you came to the organization. Tell us about that. What is it that's done so well? Um, well, first of all, they did, I've just been here just right at three years now. They did an incredible job down through the years of just laying the groundwork of finding quality films. They had a great film department that found films that would be of interest to the local community. That was a great start for the for the city to see films that they would not have an opportunity to see. So that was a great start. Um, I was pulled in three years ago because I've spent 30 years in the film festival business. So, um, you know, when you reach a certain age, you've got some connections that you can pick up the phone and feel comfortable in twisting some ar arms. So uh, over the last three years, we've added... Um, the International Film Critics and Journalists Association that now comes in and endorses us are the Academy Awards of the Arts and Sciences, uh, which is the Oscars. They endorse us and sanction us. We've got, um, we're the first film festival in the country in the awards season, in, which starts in October, 
to showcase all the films that are being submitted to the Academy and Golden Globes for the Best Foreign Language category. We're showcasing those with representatives from all the different countries. This year we'll have 20. Uh, we're slowly building that each year because there's as many as 80 countries worldwide. But uh, people can see films coming, the number one film from a given country here at Heartland in October. So we're very proud of that. That's interesting. So we talked a little about the present. We certainly want to talk way more about the festival as we, this podcast continues. But tell us your story. Tell us what, how you began in this industry. Where have you been in the world? Um, I think our audience would be interested in that. Back in the early 90s, uh, there was um, an entertainer by the name of Sonny Bono who decided he wanted to be the mayor of Palm Springs. And he didn't know what he was going to do to get attention to Palm Springs to encourage tourism. So he asked me, because he was a friend of mine, and asked me if I would not only help him start a film festival, but he'd decide he wanted to run for mayor at the time. So uh, everybody thought he was crazy. Why would entertainer want to run for mayor? Why would he want a film festival? But um, we started that film festival. I was there for 10 years, and then after Sonny's death, um, I was... Uh, Arm was twisted to move to Bangkok, Thailand for five years, where I worked for the Royal Thai government, uh, uh, producing, directing their international film festival. And then there was a military coup when we were all, all the Americans were asked to get out of Thailand. So then I was uh, worked with the film and television uh, uh, government organization in Cape Town, South Africa, where I was for two years. And then back to Los Angeles, where we worked on the Cabo St. Louis, Lucas establishment of film festival. And then I worked with the Museum of Tolerance for the Jewish Film Festival, and then the San Diego Jewish Film Festival, and then Latino Film Festivals in, in Florida. And then I ended up in, in Indianapolis at the Heartland International, which I've been very pleased to be a part of for the last almost three years. So you mentioned before we started taping that uh, it was a, a national search to find um, the, the president for this organization. Prior to that search, what was the reputation or what was your knowledge of the Heartland Film Festival? Mm -hmm. That is an excellent question because I had no knowledge of Heartland Film. In fact, uh, that has been one of our challenges is to get the message out there even to our locals. Does the local community know about Heartland Film? Uh, it's better. But if we went out on the street right now and say, are you familiar with Heartland Film? The answer would probably be, yes, I think I've heard of it. So uh, that's been a big challenge. Uh, we're fortunate now in the last three years that the international community knows Heartland International. So, But that was a weak area for us. But we've had the product. We've had... Excellent films that have got great track records uh, even after the film festival. Um, we've got the largest prize money in the world now. Uh, we're sanctioned by the Academy. We've had it here for a number of years, long before Craig got here, but we just didn't, we were not successful in getting the message out there. Is, is the goal of the local audience for a film festival? If film festivals are doing their job, it's, it's a balance. You want the, to build the community because you, to make an economic impact on the community, which um, that was one of the questions when I first arrived. I said to the board, what's the economic impact that the film festival makes on the city? Uh, well, I don't think we do. Oh, well, that was almost a test trick question for me because I said, oh, okay, we don't make an impact. So do we bring filmmakers in and how many? Then's when their pride kicked in. Oh, yes, we bring in over 200 filmmakers worldwide every year. 
Oh, okay. And do we put those in hotels? Yes, we put them in hotels. Uh, do we take care of them with restaurants and entertainer and tours of the city? Oh, yes. We have our Hoosier Hospitality. And serve. I said, and we don't make an impact on the city. Well, we did a study that year. So we make over a $3.5, $3.6 million impact over the 10 days each year on the city. So um, we're very proud of that accomplishment. So I was taking a look at, again, just kind of preparing, and it looked like in the 2019 legislative session, there was an effort and sounded like maybe a repeated effort for our um, for our state legislator to make a decision to do some kind of tax credit, tax incentive for film to be produced here in the state. I didn't find the answer if that was successful. And so tell us about that. It was not successful. Um, so yes, the message out there in the film industry, well, let's avoid shooting films in Indiana because they have no tax incentives. Um, we don't until just recently. We've always had a, a, no, for the last three years, we had a film commissioner here, Therese Sabatine. She was absolutely excellent. Um, but as all cities that have film commissioners, that's it's here today and gone tomorrow, here today, gone tomorrow. Um, no, we do not have tax incentives, which that is the official thing that gets the attention of filmmakers. However, here's what Indianapolis as a city offers in spite of not having tax incentives. They can come to Indianapolis, and we've got sites to shoot films. Our monuments here in the city are really second only to Washington, D.C. In fact, I learned after moving here, these. I said, why? How, how did we get to be second to Washington, D.C.? Well, Craig, don't you know where all the the limestone and stuff come from to build those monuments in Washington? They came from Indiana. So uh, we've got the sites for them. It's by comparison of other major cities, it's easy to shut down a street or to have um, support of where you want to shoot your film. And there's the Indiana Filmmakers Network here in, in the well in the state that they have all the resource, the manpower, the woman power, the bodies to help produce a film so it's here it's just that you have to come in and start asking questions and ask for the favors so do you anticipate that will come before the le- i think i read it was we're only one of 15 states that doesn't have the incentives um that becomes a political issue and i can never predict politics even though i'm a political junkie so uh so uh I'm not sure of that. Okay. Well, we'll Sorry we will to say, I will always be supporting those efforts. Sure. So most other other guests on this podcast were lifelong leaders and legends within this state or within this community. So you, I think, Robert, correct me if I'm wrong, is Craig one of our first guests who is recently transplanted, having been here three years? That sounds accurate. Okay. So, my, so all of the other guests have loved Indiana since birth. And a lot of them went to college, you know. So you, tell us what maybe you love about Indianapolis since you've been here thus far. I would put Indianapolis as a city up against any major city in this country. And I've got a few miles on me that have worked or spent time in most of the major cities. Indianapolis is excellent. The cultural arts here in Indianapolis is is second to none. In fact, right after I started when uh, my California, California friends were saying, Craig, what in the world did you, how'd you end up in Indianapolis and what are you doing? I said, I'll tell you what. In fact, I was talking to a number one publicist in the film industry at the day, time who was from Los Angeles. I said, um, 
do you have your uh, L.A. Times in front of me? Yes, we'll turn to the entertainment section. I said, I've got in front of me right now our entertainment section. I said, I want you to, it was a Wednesday. I'll remember this. As, I said, what's happening tonight in Los Angeles? I said, well, he says, it's just packed. we got so much. I said, okay, give me. For every one of his events happening on Wednesday night in Los Angeles, we had two and three events happening in Indianapolis. So... Nobody from another major city wants to get in a debate with me about the cultural arts and the activity in Indianapolis because I will win. <laughs> I'm very proud of being here in Indianapolis. Well, good. That's great. I, I, too, I feel like when I travel, I always have to preface it with, we hosted the Super Bowl, right? We're not a cornfield. This is an, right. ama- an amazing city to live in. So when you came and you, um, you've shared with us again off air that you chose to live in the downtown area. Um, and I asked the question, what made you choose downtown? And you said your staff and others said, oh, there's these great suburbs. Oh, yes. Tell us, having lived all around the world, what about living in Indianapolis, in downtown Indianapolis, was attractive? Yes, I had a full staff when I started here saying, because I was just in temporary housing for a couple of months. And I said, okay, now where do I, should I concert? Of course, everybody had a different story, you know, on the south end and go to the north end, and then they'd go to Carmel and go to, and I kept going downtown and I would come back into the office said, I love the downtown. There's everything. I could walk out. I don't care where my the apartment or condo was going to be downtown. I could walk out the door and there was something within a few blocks where there was restaurants, banks, grocery stores, whatever. So it was real easy for me to get downtown. I'm right in the center of downtown and I love it. So what should our listeners look forward to about the festival that, as Robert said, is coming up here October the 10th? Is that correct? 10th through the 20th. Okay. Well, um, as a, uh, I think when this airs, uh, everyone will uh, know that um, we landed a stellar opening night film, which is going to get a lot of attention because it's Tom Hanks' new film, um, uh, you know, in the neighborhood about Mr. Rogers. That's going to get lots of attention. And our closing night film is with Jamie Foxx, uh, Just Mercy, which is all about a civil rights attorney pleading a case. Um uh, the lineup of films is an incredible balance because there's something for everybody, but all films are not for everybody. Uh, and I like to point that out because that's been an educational process f- here to get everyone to understand. The films at a film festival are are diverse. They're different. And uh, your favorite film might be different from yours. And so we that's what we uh, like to emphasize. But we got incredible events and, and our filmmakers brunch, which is on the last Saturday. It's when we will be awarding um, top prize money in the world to worthy filmmakers in a number of different categories. And um, I'll go out on a limb and predict that at this year's Academy Award and Golden Globes, there will be winners this year that the locals will say, wait a minute, I saw that film at the Heartland Film Festival in October. So I think there will be something for everybody. In fact, the biggest challenge they will have is being trying to decide, how can I see everything? You can't. So you just got to sort through everything and decide. So tell, do tell our listeners about that. Because again, as you mentioned, locals may or may not know. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the films? How do you see the mm-hmm. films? Uh, we've got a number of different locations. We've got two AMC locations, one in Castleton, one in Traders Point. We also have two screens at, at Newfields uh, in the DeBost and uh, the Toby uh, Theaters. Um, so in each one of the AMCs, one's got 
five screens and another one's got four. So I think we end up, I think the total account is 11 or 12 screens happening over the 10 days. So it is a challenge to decide. It becomes overwhelming. In fact, I think if you kind of scout around the room here, you can see a sampling of a schedule over 10 days. So it's a matter of opening up that book and it becomes overwhelming. It can be intimidating as to what do I do and where where do I even start? But I think if they go to the book and if you like comedies, go through there and look for the genre of comedies and then just zero in on that genre specific category or maybe you like documentaries i think that's the starting point to help people decide where and when and how do i make this work because it is it is a surprise and it's in a it's, it's a challenge to put a schedule together so again being a novice in this whole realm you've mentioned genre and you've mentioned prize money talk to our listeners about what are the various I mean, obviously comedy, but I've also read many movies at film festivals are designed to have a social or an education purpose. Yes. So tell us about those mm-hmm. categories and what do you mean by prize money? Uh-huh. Our prize money, we give prize money in, in the best documentary. We give prize money in the best narrative. Uh, this past July, we gave the best prize money for the best short film. Um, we also got... Um, uh, uh, a, a civil rights uh, f- a focus. Um, we, uh, what else have we got? Um, uh, uh, just a number of different subjects of different levels of categories. Um, but and our prize money ranges everywhere from twenty five hundred to as high as twenty five thousand. So in the course of the year, we're giving away over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And I think the last count was over the last. 27 years, it's been about 3.5, 3.6 million that we've given away in prize money. The, you mentioned the civil rights um, focus. Is there ever a foci that changes from year to year? I'm thinking mm-hmm. next year's the, you know, the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment and the suffrage movement. Um, the answer is yes. The, the subjects and the focus uh, from film um, makers all around the world, yes, it can vary from year to year depending on what was the what was the hot topic that year in a given city? What I find interesting, and I think it will surface in some of our films this year in our documentary sections, um, immigration is a topic everywhere. It doesn't matter that, you know, we say as Americans, we've got an immigration issue here that everybody likes to talk about, maybe argue about whatever their position may be. But it's a topic that's that's the same everywhere in the world. And it's fascinating from an educational point of view how does that same subject affect different countries from mm-hmm. a different perspective and as to what their issues are in that country at that time? So uh, if we're doing our job, we're giving entertainment to our viewers and we're giving education to our viewers. In the industry. So obviously I'm the CEO for Girl Scouts. We represent obviously girls and women and, and things they're interested in. Tell us about the role um, – is there an equal role for women in the filmmaking industry? You are touching on something. Now, it's almost like I paid you to set, the, set that question up. And, and I even offered what you were You're right, about. and that I never said it. anything, but you are touching on one of the film industry's hottest topics right now. So it's with great pride I can tell you about this. This past February at the Berlin Film Market, one of the largest film markets in the world, they were asking film festivals from all over the world if they would sign a pledge not a commitment, not a have to, not a demand. Would you sign a pledge as a film festival for the 50-50-2020 pledge? Meaning, would you, by the year 2020, 
try to get an equal balance of female filmmakers, 50% male versus female. Well, we signed that pledge, and we were listed along Berlin, Toronto, Venice, Rotterdam, the, the, the biggest film festival in the world, and here was Heartland International. And, of course, they were all saying, well, we think we can do that. Well, we happened to go on record because last year, without even trying, we were just selecting quality films. We didn't care if it was male or female. We didn't care. But we selected quality filmmakers. And at the time, this was a year ago, we were at 43% female filmmakers. There's every reason in the world. In fact, I happen to know for a fact we'll probably hit that 50-50 this year. Congratulations and thank you. That's yes. amazing. Well, it's it's a pledge that film festivals all over the world are making. And um, in fact, at the film market last week in Toronto, uh, two leading, I won't give their names, but two leading film international film festivals were in a big contest argument about were they going to be able to hit it and you're not focusing enough on women filmmakers. And, and we got great enjoyment laughing at the big boys and girls when we were already kind of scooting in under the radar and accomplishing the task without any effort. And you said that's 50-50 by 2020 uh-huh, is the tag yeah. on that line. That's great. What about, um, you mentioned all the entry points into the film festival for competition. Are there some that are targeted to young filmma- f- filmmakers? Yes. Uh, not only targeted to young filmmakers, but also a focus on Indiana filmmakers. Uh, we have a high school uh, film competition uh, and then we we seg, uh, kind of branch that out and say, all right, it does it fall into Indiana filmmakers? So we're we're true to our local filmmakers, and we're true. In fact, um, I think our staff will tell you Craig's a little partial to um, inviting in high school and college students that are interested in film because some of the best stories I have at film festivals and some of the most successful stories are the involvement of high school and college kids who are working on films. And I like to go out on a limb and say they haven't been jaded or ruined yet by the film industry or the studios or the public. They're just going for it because they're innocent, naive, and the creativity is off the walls. That's why our short film festival in July each year has has turned into something rather huge in a short period of time, no pun intended, um, because those filmmakers, they're young, they haven't been, they, they haven't been influenced yet, and uh, their, their creativity is, is the best. What influence, if any, do you think? So I watch my own children do Instagram and Visco and all these other apps that allow them essentially to make what I would say, short videos in creative ways. Mm -hmm. What impact do you think that has had on young people getting involved in filmmaking? Mm -hmm. A lot, and for the the better. Because, in fact, two years ago, we had a panel discussion that ended up in uh, uh, almost a two-hour seminar lecture of the, from the founder, her name is uh, Susie Portello, who is the founder and, and uh, CEO of the International Mobile Film Festival. She was there to teach young filmmakers how you don't have to raise a lot of money to, to get all the, the funding to make your first film when you can take your smartphone, and, and that it was a learning process. So all of the social media stuff and the Instagram and everything has, has been very instrumental, and also because I think it's a generation thing too, um, short films have become very popular because our attention span is, I would say, 
so in my generations, the attention span might be a little different than someone that would be grandchildren. And uh, so that promotes short films, the creativity to create a short film. So um, I think all those uh, social media apps are a plus. What about formal methods? Um, do you at Heartland offer any seminars, courses, young people, old people to learn about the industry or filmmaking? And so that's one part of my question. The second is, you know, if there's a, a listener out there who, you know, maybe traditional college pathway, because I'm sure I went to Ball State, great mm-hmm. communications school, right? But where else may they be able to get um, training in mm-hmm. the film industry? Um as a film festival, no, we don't. However, we've got a number of working relationships with different universities here locally. Ball State is one of them. And yes, I'm very, I've learned the communication area. In fact, we're very much involved with that. Um, in fact, during our film festival, in our promotional videos that people see up on the screen, every single one of them had been done by student film classes in the greater Indianapolis and surrounding area universities. So uh, uh, that's we encourage that because, uh, in fact, um, uh, on opening night at the red carpet, lining that red carpet right alongside all the major press and media people, there's university students standing there with their cameras and their reporters getting the experience right alongside uh, the experienced uh, people that have been doing it for years. All right. So I do. So I want to pause and see if Robert wants to get a word in or a promo or a a something. Um, You're good. Okay. So I want to famous people. I think I was looking at people who have attended the film festival. I think our listeners would be interested to know right here in, you know, little Indianapolis, who, who may be in town that is just interesting or who has been in town that we may have not known was here. Well, two years ago, we had Rob Reiner here, and I was anxious to see how Rob Reiner would play in in Indianapolis, and our audiences here just loved him. Um, so he was great. We're going to be giving a Lifetime Achievement Award this year to Cloris Leachman, which I think a lot of our uh, a lot of your audience w- would know. Um and then um, we're, we've got a section of films co- that are anniversary films, anniversaries of everything from five-year anniversary to as many as 80 years. We're doing the 30th anniversary of Brendan Fraser's film, The Mummy. And I learned that Brendan Fraser was an indie boy. So he's going to be here to promote the 30th anniversary of uh, his film, along with um, international film uh, critic and interviewer uh, Pete Hammond from New York. So. Very good. Very, very interesting. All right. So um, the 10th through the 20th, correct? And so I think we mentioned at the top of the podcast, there's other things, and you've kind of alluded to the short the short films. Mm-hmm. What are the other projects that are year-round projects for Heartland? Mm-hmm. Um, we do what we refer to as our road shows and our best of fests. Uh, so uh, right after the film fest is over, we start planning for our uh, best of fest. We do it in, in, uh, in Franklin. Uh, we've got uh, other ones that we're working on, um, uh, possibly Carmel, uh, that we do films that won awards at our festival, that we do uh, programs during the course of the year so people can say who we are and what we do so that we'll encourage them to show up in our annual events uh, each year in July and then in October. So uh, we're pretty active year-round with our film programming. And so the 
this the Heartland is a is a five hundred one c three a yes. nonprofit. Correct. Um, I think that's also potentially interesting. So talk about ticket prices. Average public can afford to come see the films. Um, why a nonprofit, and what does that mean, kind of, for the community and, and the business of what you mm-hmm. do? Um, nonprofit for uh, most film festivals are nonprofits, um, and that, it, like any nonprofit, it has its set of challenges. Um, but um, our prices are very affordable. They run will run anywhere from as low as eight dollars for a, a film to as high as fifteen. Some of our f- special events for opening, which is parties and interviews and Q and A's and everything, could run as high as forty. But basically, our average ticket price will run around thirteen dollars. So I think that's affordable for everybody. But um, uh, does that pay our expenses each year? Doesn't come close. In fact, we uh, did a study last year, and we put it up on the screen saying to people, we'd like for you to consider uh, helping financially help the film festival because your $13 ticket is what we're getting for that seat you're sitting in, but that seat is worth about $70 for the same. So you're, taking a, you're getting a $13 uh, ticket that's costing us about $70. No, and I think about... Um entertainment, that price tag does not seem unreasonable. I don't think so. I just bought my daughter a ticket to see Dora the Explorer movie, which I'm sure is not winning any awards, and it was $12. Sure, yeah, yeah. And uh, the thing to it, now, in some, yes, we got got different types and sections of films in the lineup. However, the majority of those films that are a part of our program, you'll never be able to see them ever again. Uh, a very small percentage are picked up by distributors that will show them in our local theaters after the film festival it might show up like, um, you know, a year later. The exceptions would be things like our opening, our closing, and some other ones that are scattered. That is done for promotional, getting attention purposes only because they're already in distribution. They're going to be in the theaters, um, in a few weeks, so uh, that's that's just for publicity purposes. There's a lot of people that are not interested in an international film festival for a, a multitude of different reasons, but they will turn out if they think they're going to see a well-known celebrity that's there for a film that they would uh, see possibly the next week in the theaters. Sure. No, I, I think that's part of the fun of it, it right? Is. Yes. So what do you think... Um what has the Netflix and the Hulus and the on-demand and all of those channels done for or against, if you will, um, the film industry? It's caused a new set of challenges. Um, when um, In today's world, when, uh, let's say, staff or people in the film industry can get rattled by, oh, Netflix, now what are we, how does that do? Because not all commercial theaters can show certain formats of film. So that causes a whole different ballgame. But I, you know, here being the oldster on the block, I find a little bit of humor in that. And I, uh, the changes and the challenges are not frightening to me because I remember when the film festivals would start and one of our biggest challenges was lifting that 75-pound film can to get it into the projection booth to see if it could be loaded on the projector. Uh, so now talking about new formats of films with Netflix and everything, it's, so be it. Should, who knows what will be, you know, another two or three years from now. It'll be something different. And I would say, you know, and maybe this is just my own experience. 
I've been more willing to try watching different genre of movie than I ever would because it's in my house. It's for free. I could stop it if I don't like it. And so it's actually probably caused me to pay attention and go to the theater for something I may have not gone before. That's right. So I think there's probably a give and take, sure, you know, to that. We had fun this past year because so many of the films, and it'll really happen this year, um, when the award season comes back and sometimes people are watching television, see the Academy Awards or the Golden Globes that they may not even be involved with watching films other times, but they might watch the award show on television. We had fun last year because right after the Academy Awards, the next day in our office, our phones were ringing off the wall. You guys probably missed it, but did you see the woman that accepted the Academy Award for... They said, well, she was in at Heartland International. Well, of course we knew that. We knew it was, they had the nomination. We had the strong feeling that she would probably win. So we had fun, the locals, noticing, well, we were there. We saw so-and-so, and she's now on the main stage. And, of course, our category of um, of 20 films this year that are films coming from individual countries as the best film being represented in that category for best foreign language film um, filmmakers are here with that film to push it, but they leave here immediately to go to Los Angeles and lobby to try to get that nomination. And invariably, the people that are voting are saying, well, where, where have you been? Did you just come from Spain? No, we were in Indianapolis at the Heartland Film Festival showcasing that film. So we're kind of a stepping stone now for filmmakers and country films that are going on to lobby to get their nomination. Have you yourself been able to attend the Oscars, the Academy Awards, some of the, the shows you're talking is, about? The yes, and I would rather sit in my living room and watch it on television than trying to fight in the seats that you don't really, you don't, no. Television is 10 times better watching those award shows than trying to see what you can see in the audience. That's my opinion. <laughs> You're listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer, and General Hotels Corporation, Union Station, Crown Plaza downtown. You mentioned earlier the short lifespan of film festivals. What, what is the cause of the, of the brevity? Mm-hmm. It's all financial. Um, Different cities, cities, I'm not zeroing in on anybody, any small, medium, large city across the country think the answer to get attention and and pull in dollars to the city is a film festival. It costs a lot of money. The Those new films are not cheap. The publicity to get the message out there is not cheap. Uh, the rights of a film are not cheap. Uh, everything costs Money And I think there's a, a lack of understanding of everything that's involved to, to make uh, a film festival survive. So they try it one year. Uh, they think, well, we didn't do well, but that was our first year. Let's give it a try the second year. And if they survive the third year, they're, they're lucky. And very few make it past five. And so how has Heartland? Uh, Heartland has done well because they were successful with funding sources. Uh, Indianapolis has been very, as a city, has been very, I'm not going to say the city funding. I'm going to say individuals, donors, grants, funders, endowments, uh, foundations in the city are very generous to us. So that's what has kept our doors open. 
how important is to the success of the festival is the name itself. It could have been called the Indiana Film Festival or the uh, Hoosier Film or Indie Film, but the name was, I think, meant to be more of a statement because you wouldn't necessarily think of the heartland of the United States as an entertainment capital, even though Chicago's not that far away, but it appears to be an industry dominated on the coasts. And so, in your opinion, has has the name been helpful to draw in support and attention that otherwise wouldn't have come? No. You probably got a surprised answer on that one, but no. From the international film industry perspective and position, it has not necessarily served us well because, and again, uh, this could be depending on to whom you've asked that question, um, there could be a perception when you say, Heartland, what does that mean to some people? Well, uh, does it mean fly over to some people? Oh, yes, it does. In fact, but I'm going to say real quick, well, Indianapolis, as a when you say a flyover, well, it also means um, here's this event, whether it's film, entertainment, concert happening in New York, and they're going to go to Los Angeles. I'm giving you just two major cities. Mm, it's not a bad stop to stop on the way. If you've got a weekend here, stop here. I am surprised and shocked at the amount of entertainment and things happening in the city in the middle of the week. Well, I reason to believe, you know. Also, you're touching on something else. Um, we're known for our truly moving picture award that's been around since day one. And I couldn't, and it's films that are given to us from major studios. I couldn't understand why studios gave Heartland Film films to screen when studios don't like film festivals. We're a thorn in their side. Because of the independence? Um, because of the independence. Because we show independent films. We're showing films this in, in three weeks here that studios will... We're, we're cramping their style. We're cramping the film distributor style. We're getting in the way of the theaters because of commercial screenings and plan. So I thought, why do studios come to Indianapolis to offer Heartland Film these films that are will ultimately be major films in studios? And they're, they're basically using us as a judgment or an evaluation if um, if uh, a major film, if, if uh, a major film that's out there right now comes to, uh, to us as a truly moving picture evaluation, we vote on that to see if we're going to give it the truly moving picture award. And explain the truly moving picture. It's a film that makes a statement to an individual that either moves them or they leave thinking about it. Did I like it? Why didn't I like it? Why did, why did it move me in some way? Uh, was it educational? Was it entertaining? It affected me in some way. The studios want to know how we're voting, and even though their film may be in the theaters the very next week, they're deciding, hmm, if Indianapolis people like that film, maybe we better dump a few more million dollars in the promotion of that film to get more people to go because they like it in Indianapolis. Or if we say, this doesn't work, they're going to start pulling back. That doesn't mean they're going to cancel their distribution deal at a theater, but they might not be spending millions on the promotion 
on the radio and televisions because the ratings here, they've, according to our people sitting in the audience rating, that wasn't a number one rated film. How do films like the ones, and not that there aren't hits, for lack of a better term, that are part of the film festival or that have had its, its time at the festival, how do smaller films, grittier films maybe, how do they compete with the CGI monstrosities that are out there these days? Mm-hmm. Daniel asked a great question uh, about Netflix, but within the, the theater itself, I mean, I get the sense that a lot of folks want to go to the theater these days to get their buttons pushed, to be uh, enraptured or captured by, by all these amazing special effects. That's right. And so how does a, a, a smaller film or you know, a more pensive film get noticed? It's very, very difficult. That's an excellent question. It's difficult at best um, because they are competing with what the uh, average person in any city wants. Because they want those blockbusters. They want those action films. They want that. So they're not into selecting a film that's one of those films you're describing that may have an incredible storyline, uh, a great message. They just kind of shun those. That's why, from my point of view, I like to always encourage people to look for the art theater houses, like the landmarks here. Uh, and every now and then they'll they'll have a... Keystone Arts. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, because that's where some of those lower-budget films will screen that I feel have great impacts, and uh, whether it's educational, entertainment, or just moving in itself. I uh, But they're... Your, to your point, that's a it's rough for filmmakers who have to compete with those big blockbusters. Do you consider yourself a movie critic at all? I mean, you have decades of experience, have worked in different countries, worked at the highest level, encountered all these people. When you when you look at watch a film, are you watching it as a fan, or do you watch it more of like mm-hmm. a critic's eye? No, I, I don't think I have a critic's eye. I I am there. Um, uh, Yes, I know what the critics are looking for. They're either looking for uh, one. Uh, if, if you and I go to watch a film, did we? I, I I I say there's three rating points. One, did we just? Did you just like it? Don't try to make anything out. Did you just like it? Number two, then if you're really becoming a critic, was it technically sound? How was the story? How was the editing? How was the cinematography? How was the music? How was the acting? So that's point two. And then number three, will it sell a ticket? So I think if you those, then you're a film critic. I'm not one of those. I wouldn't be a good film critic. The, to me, one of the most enjoyable things of a film festival is, in fact, people that have, my last three years, they know that when a film's letting out, where, were they, where are they going to find me? I'm going to be standing right outside the theater door to hear all the comments because you could come out and say, that was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, how come? And then you're hearing all this. You come out the door um, and uh, I just hated it. And you hear that. So because I say I'm not, I'm not a good film critic, I'm thinking, hmm, you point out something, that, why you didn't like it, I'm thinking, I missed that. You're pointing out why you liked it, I'm thinking, I missed that too. I think the enjoyment of a film festival happens, well, I'm not going to say it. you don't enjoy the film, but equally important and fun is the discussions that happen after the film to hear everybody's opinion, and nobody's right and nobody's wrong. So let's... We end the podcast with the same five questions, and it's not yet time for that. But given your experience and the things that you've done and what you've seen, I'm going to ask four or five kind of maybe quick questions, and then 
let Danielle have another shot at it before we get to the final five questions. Okay. Funniest movie of all time. Oh, funniest one. Oh, my goodness gracious. If you were in a bad mood and had to laugh, which movie would you watch? Oh, I'm not sure, um, Robert, that I've got an answer for the funniest movie of all time. The ridiculous ones are things like Dumb and Dumber because I'm watching that and I'm, I'm making fun of it. I, yet I catch myself laughing, but I use that just as an example because of the absurdity of the whole thing. So It should have won the Oscar that year. Well, see, that was your funniest one, then, right? All right, so now I've learned something about mm, your funniest. Funniest would probably be, <laughs> I don't know, Caddyshack to me is probably the movie that consistently makes me laugh, even after what is probably legitimately 100 viewings. Yeah. Uh, most romantic movie of all time, or your favorite oh, romantic movie. Well, do you know what? I keep going back to, uh, wasn't it, wasn't it Annette Benning uh, in American Beauty? Wasn't what about the president? Wasn't that the uh, one? American president? American president. Thank you. Thank you. American president. American Beauty was uh, Amer- Well, yeah, Amer- that was another, that was another story. I guess yes, it depends American on your president. version of romance. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, really. But yes, I just thought Annette Benning in that, I just, I thought that was interesting because I don't know, that was just kind of a modern love story that I caught my attention. If you could sit down with any actor or actress from days gone by and have a lunch, just chat about movies and life and experience. Is there a particular actor or actress who tickles your fancy? Um, now I'm dating myself because I've met and certainly met my share of, of actors down through the years. But because I sat and had pizza and beer with Sonny Bono and Sophia Loren, I will just be a kind of a memory that's stuck in my mind because I watched the two of them laugh and make fun and say things that all of us would say. So they weren't on a pedestal in any way. And I, I just felt like that that was something I will always remember in my little storybook of things. So I would have to say Sophia Loren. And as an ironic kind of a silly thing, I have this new pup at home now. Guess what her name is? Sophia. And she's still alive. <laughs> she's still alive and still as glamorous as ever. She does look great. I would I would have to say there's so many, but if you had to choose someone alive, the if I, if you had a chance to sit down for a dinner with Olivia de Havilland, oh, who I, was I, still alive yeah. <laughs> at 102 years old, I don't know how you would pass that. That up. would be hard to beat. I'm I totally agree with you. You mentioned the Oscars earlier, and, and I hate to sound like a, well, I guess this doesn't necessarily make me sound like a right winger, but I stopped watching the Oscars after Saving Private Ryan did not win Best Picture and lost to Shakespeare in Love. Uh, and do you get the sense that I, Saving Private Ryan to me is one of the greatest movies of all time? It's absolutely fabulous. I and Shakespeare in Love was an afterthought. Is there a cultural divide between, without getting into politics per se, a cultural divide between the elite cities where a lot of these films are made and decided and where we're sitting right now in Indianapolis and other places? No. You don't think, let me rephrase that. (laughs) To get the answer you want? No, because I want to make sure because I agree with him because I think that the studios are going out of their way to make grittier films that are more reflective of 
everyday life. But there is a group of people who do believe that the elites are in charge and they're ignoring what's happening in the heartland. And I think a lot of these more independent films are being made to address that imbalance. Um, do I feel that there is a group of people? That I just I my I wouldn't call them. I wouldn't refer to them as the elites because when I hear elites, I automatically think the rich and famous, the powerful people because of rich and fame. And I could give you a number of very wealthy, influential, powerful actors that they they would they're just the wrong they would not even fit into that elite category because they could sit here and chat with us and have coffee and drink a beer and just be as everyday so uh they they are the ones that are fighting the establishment that you're referring to that is there uh and i think a lot of that is uh i would instead of saying maybe the the rich and famous i would say it's the powerful big money studios that are trying to drive for financial gain. Because the big example of in the last few decades is the last temptation of Christ, which was um, has its history as, as being, we're not sure if we want to do this sort of film. We're yeah. not sure if we agree with the message. And Mel Gibson did it by himself and it made a billion dollars roughly. Yeah. And so that was more of the, the attitude where people want to see a certain movie. They're not getting a certain movie. And so is there a way to give people what they want? And does a festival like Heartland help convey that message to the people who get to make the bigger decisions on the coasts? Um, a film festival like Heartland and any film festival that's doing their job is offering you um, a smorgasbord, a catalog of films that allow you to find that type of film like you're describing that you want but that doesn't mean it's it's just that. Um, I will I will tell you that in our lineup this year is a perfect example. We've got that um, that down home feel good warm and fuzzy film for that audience. We've got um, two or three very religious oriented films that some people might agree with, but they, and they've got different positions in themselves. And I'd like to come back and tell you a quick story about that. And then uh, others that are just strictly educational. We do not take um, a position politically or religiously about films. We're showing quality films. The viewers, the audience, has got to, they're the ones that decide that. And I'm uh, very, um, I'm really maybe very firm on, I'm going to give you an example that happened here just a few weeks ago. Right after Indie Shorts, I had a lady come to the door, insisted on seeing the president of the film festival. We want to see this man that's responsible for putting that Muslim film in the short lineup. So I went out and talked to her, and she said, how dare you put a film about Muslims in your film festival? You are insulting the Christians and the, and the Jewish people in Indianapolis. And I said, did you see the film? She said, no, but I heard all about it. I said, well, it was endorsed and sanctioned by the Jewish Center here in Indianapolis. Uh, and that person that you're referring to happens to be from Indiana. And he was a former Ku Klux Klan member who went to pl put together a plan to bomb the local mosque here in Indiana. And he fell in love with the people, and he went from being uh, a hate-mongering bigot 
falling in love with the Muslims, and he become a Muslim. He does nationwide tours now preaching love. So I said, I think, and of course, before I even got that whole thing, she was out the door. So um, we're, well, we're here ha- promoting <laughs> different types of film for different people that have different tastes. Hell hath no fury than <laughs> a person who wants to remain ignorant. What was the name of the film? Uh, it, it was The Muslim Story. It was, a, and it was a, one of our short films that got won uh, awards. It was a, a, a short film. It was all, and was a preaching all about love. I mean, this, this fit any category you wanted to put it in, but it was still about the love message. So we were, we were proud to show it. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe she even became converted. I mentioned uh, Temptation of Christ earlier. It was Passion. Tem- Last Temptation of Christ is the William Defoe movie yep. from earlier. Do you have one more or two more before we do the five questions, Danielle? I have a two-parter. All yours. All right. So my question was going to be, have you seen all the films in the lineup for this year? The answer is no. Uh, There's uh, over 200, I believe, is the final uh, count. So the answer is no. I've seen um, my involvement here at Heartland has been because it's we are recognized each year in the top 50 film festivals nationwide in our selection process. Um, We have a three-layered process of one group of film viewers, they rate it, and then it goes on to another group, to the third group, and then it ends up in the film department. If at any point the film department in their final decision are in question, they'll pull me in to say, Craig, what do you think? Uh, but So the answer is no. I have not seen all of them. I've seen a lot of the major ones, yes, because I'm a, politi- I'm a, I'm a publicity junkie, and I like to go out and promote films and get people's interest and enthused about them. Well, that was going to be my next kind of question is, if I'm going to buy a ticket now for a show to see between the 10th and the 20th, what mm-hmm. would you recommend? I do have a favorite at this point, And boy, I can really get in trouble on this one. Because it, my statement answer to you is going to be, could be argued and debated. And it has nothing to do with anything other than I sat and I enjoyed and fun the, saw the film. I saw it at the film market at the Toronto Film Festival uh, this past week. And it's called The Two Popes. I'm a history junkie, uh, as well as liking good films, and this is a new film that's coming out about the transition from Pope Benedict to Pope Francis and private conversations that they had that none of us really know about. So how did they get these? Be but it's, it's all about the both of these popes were great extremes from one's position, even though they were both formal cardinals in the in the in the, the catholic church um one of them had a strong position one way in contrast to the other but it was the dialogue between those two you fall in love with both of those popes you cannot it doesn't matter whether you're catholic or not and i'm not but you cannot not love the dialogue and the respect that these two men have to this day for each other excellent thank you so much what did you take from that, even as a non-Catholic, when watching it? I mean, surely probably one represented your views better than the other, or one made stronger arguments, but mm-hmm. just the fact that there were sitting there two men who at one time headed the church of a billion people, and now one currently heads the church of a billion people. Mm-hmm. What was so compelling about that dialogue? Mm-hmm. The respect that, even though both of them had... Ex- uh, extreme positions, different positions. It was the respect that they had for each other, and um, and in fact, uh, 
Pope Benedict made the remark to Francis, um, I don't agree with anything of your position. Now, this was in their early dialogue. Uh, he says, but I respect what you want to happen for the Catholic Church. So even though they had different beliefs, my takeaway was the respect for each other that they had. So, you know, being a living in la-la land, I'm thinking, <laughs> why can't everybody be just be like that? You know, you don't have to agree with everybody's position, but you still ought to have some respect for a difference of opinion. What's well, here at the Leaders and Legends <laughs> podcast, World Headquarters, you know, we're trying to have fun, comfortable conversations where we learn a lot. And I can definitely say that I know a heck of a lot more about the festival and its impact after this hour than I had previously. I want to speak for Danielle, but it's amazing. Uh, You're listening to the leaders and legends podcast presented by veteran strategies sponsored by girl scouts of central Indiana, McAllister machinery and the crown plaza at union station, downtown Indianapolis. We end the podcast with the same five questions to everybody. You ready? ready? I'm ready. I don't have my paper in front of me. So if I get them wrong, Danielle, you, Tell me, uh, what was your first job? Oh, now, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that, but there is, I did have a first job, and you can all laugh, and people that are listening say, oh, that man is crazy. My first job was cutting yellow thistles out of a cornfield. I got one penny for every 100. Actually, the people in Indiana will understand that better. So many youth here did corn detasseling. So that actually means something. I understand that too. So, were you in Thailand? Did you help make Nikes (laughs) for about the same wages? (laughs) Uh, No, because the film festival there was financed by the Royal Thai government. So, I was basically an employee of the Royal Thai government. (laughs) What was your first concert? Oh, the Rolling Stones. When? I, huh? When? Oh, back in the early 60s. Early 60s? Mm, yeah, remember, I was listening to your, you throwing out some dates earlier. Remember, I was graduating from college probably, well, not probably, before you were even born. If you could recommend any book for someone to read, mm-hmm. which book would you recommend? The same book as I would say the movie, and it's To Kill a Mockingbird. I'm just a junkie of that film and that book. And the book and the film are under fire. Um, yes, because the new film did a rather different a- approach to the film. So uh, um, I'm not. I was. I'm not going to say I'm a fan of the the new article, but um, uh, I would argue and debate why that film, why the book should be under fire, because it. it I think it was a. I just. Uh, it was a warm and fuzzy film to me and um i just i just it's hard for me i just don't see color i don't see religion i don't see any of these things that people put as barriers to why i wouldn't like different people if you could (laughs) witness any event in history which event would you choose oh easy answer for that remember i was a college student in the 60s so i was a i was one of those campaign people for civil rights so you'd want to witness? Uh, I did. I did witness all that picketing and fighting in the South. I was there saying, why? Why? I don't care what color you are. Why aren't you sitting right here with me at the same counter? That was me fighting. And so I and we've had some you. of that on Leaders and Legends. We've had 
political leaders from different parties. And actually, we have a couple more coming up. My friends are also diverse with all political parties and all religions. I wouldn't have it any other way. Amen. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world living, whom would you choose? Mm, um, Two hours off the record. Uh-huh. Um, you know what? It, um, the, it could be someone you've already with whom you've already had. Well, I, I haven't. And everybody makes fun of me on social media because every Sunday morning I will post just the simple comment, Jane time. And people took a long time. They didn't know what in the hell I was talking about. And I was talking about Jane Polly. I go back many years with Jane Polly and following her. And I'm just a junkie. So I would love to sit down and just talk to her because you see this. And, you know, she's an indie girl. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would love to say I've shared a meal with her and talked about her to see if she's the same kind of person that I have created in my mind that she is. Well, she's done a lot for the city. Well, I, I like her. With regard to uh, <laughs> clinics, and she's she's really made her mark. And she was one of the very first Indianapolis celebrities who left the city and then went on to, to do, do you know, bigger things. Yes, and you know, somebody else I would add in there that everybody makes fun of me because I happen to not be a country western music fan. In fact, I'm not a fan at all of that. But I would give anything to say I saw and spoke to Dolly Parton. She and I are just two days apart on our birthdays. Same year, everything, but we're just two days apart. So I call, I think of her as my astrological twin. Uh, so would I, do I get a kick out of her music? No, but I just think she'd be an interesting person to talk to. I don't know about Dolly, but Jane is a Girl Scout. So I, I bless that lunch meeting that you may right, have. Well, you set that up and I'll I, invite you to get Okay, very good. <laughs> Yes. We should try to get Jane Polly on the podcast. All right. She does come to town. She went to I've Warren. The, she grew up I've on the east side, panel. as I recall. Yeah. Well, everybody makes fun of me on my early morning Sunday morning post where I say Jane time, and now they're catching on to why I, why I like that. And Dolly Parton is also a Girl Scout. <gasps> well, let's get all the Girl Scouts together. See, let's I told you I was a Girl Scout fan. <laughs> let's get all these Girl Scouts here in Indy. Dina, where's the man enough to be a Girl Scout shirt? Oh, my goodness. Well, you, we can we can take care. We of that. We have a T-shirt, Craig. It says "Man Enough to Be a Girl Scout." Works for me. One of the founding members of the um, uh, board of directors of the F- Women in Film and Television Showcase chapter in Palm Springs. One of their first men was yours truly. <laughs> All right, we will Thank- let you wear one. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. For, I wear it to the gym, and people go, "What in the hell does that mean?" <laughs> Listen to the podcast, and you'll find out. Mr. Prater, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. That was you. an absolute blast. Well, I and enjoyed it. Anything we can do to help promote the festival. And uh, let me please also thank Kelly, your uh, executive assistant, uh, with whom I went to high school, who helped make this happen. It wouldn't happen without her. So thank you very much, Kelly. Danielle, amazing as always. It's great to see you. Uh, thank you very much. You are listening to Leaders and Legends. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Robert at veteranstrategies.com.